Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Um, let's settle ourselves here and uh, pray, and then we will um, we'll jump in, okay? Uh, Father, in this moment, uh, we want to center on you. And so set aside every distraction, set aside everything else that needs to go away. Uh, we want to lock into who you are and what you have for us and what you want to say to us this morning. And so come by your Holy Spirit uh, and go to work. We want, as we just said, we want the resurrected King to be about resurrecting us, to change us from the inside out. We don't want to be the same. We want to be changed. And so whatever it takes, um, let it be. Uh, more of you and less of us. Uh, more of you. And so we, we commit to that. And we pray for, I pray for clarity to be brought to bear on us as we open your word. Um, pull us open, God, and ready us for what you have to plan in us. And that's what we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Okay, Acts chapter 19. Uh, two weeks ago, I was on vacation with my family. Uh, this past week, I was actually out of the office. I, I worked most of the time, but I was out of the office because I was preaching at a camp um, uh, in Northwest Arkansas. Uh, did anybody meet any interesting characters this week? Did you just meet somebody fascinating to you? A few? No? Two? Two of you did. Good. The rest of you are not very friendly. Uh, you work on that. Uh, th this week um, with the students uh, that I was with, uh, there was a, a gal who four years ago, she was an 18-year-old, um, significant head injury due to some pretty awful trauma. And just to watch her kind of come out of that, um, it, things were not as they were before, uh, but to see her perseverance in that and her um, work on articulating words and getting to where she needs to go, following the schedule, all that kind of stuff, it was amazing. It was inspiring. And then the other part that was inspiring was there was a group of folks around her um, who were just kind of her helpers. Like everywhere she went, there was always somebody along with her to make sure that she got what she needed and where she needed to go uh, to help her uh, even articulate some things that she may have needed to say. It was fantastic. Um, uh, another uh, kid who was in uh, uh, my little uh, group there, my sphere, uh, where I was, I was doing the work, um, uh, had some uh, just academic and intellectual challenges. And so um, he was, it was awesome. He was the most gregarious person. Like he would come in, he would hug everybody. He'd high five people. He'd hug the people he didn't know. And then he'd high five them and then he'd hug them again. It was just fantastic. He was homecoming king of his high school last year. It's pretty awesome. And uh, Union University, anybody? Go Bulldogs. Okay. In Jackson, Tennessee, great to know that you don't know smaller schools. Good. Uh, Union University has a program specifically for those who uh, face some of those intellectual challenges to get them ready and still have the, let them have the college experience and stuff. So he's going there. It was fantastic. Good. Just a great story and a cool kid and all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it was a good week. It was a good week of ministry and good week of meeting some fascinating people. Uh, this week, you're going to encounter some people. 
Yes, you are. Uh, some of them will be people that you know. Some of them pe- people you don't know. Some of them will be very predictable, and some of them will be not so much. Uh, Paul, in his journeys in Ephesus, which is what we're going to look at in, in Acts chapter 19, had the same experience. He encountered some people, uh, some of whom he could kind of track with, some of whom it was a whole different story altogether. And so we're going to take some lessons on who do you encounter uh, when you go to Ephesus or your workplace or wherever? Who do you encounter? And these three kind of episodes in Acts chapter 19 uh, will help us, I think, understand how we interact with the different kinds of people that we encounter. So here in verse 1, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Now, I need to just confess something. I don't have a laser pointer today, which I feel pretty stupid about. I, I I need to... Next week, okay? I forgot, but next week. Uh, uh, he passed through the, so he's going through modern day Turkey is where he is. Uh, and there he found some disciples. So what had happened there? He found some disciples of Jesus. When um, Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, you had all of these people from all of these different places there in Jerusalem for the feast. And the Holy Spirit came down and people uh, uh, came to know Jesus and they didn't know much about him. We'll see here in just a second, but they, they came to know Jesus. They were forgiven by Jesus and they began to walk with Jesus in the ways that they knew. And then they had to go home because they had to go back to work and they had that meeting and all of this kind of stuff. So disciples there who had been collected, uh, excuse me, who had been converted in uh, Jerusalem uh, now were collected there in Ephesus. He found some disciples, about 12 of them. We'll see here in just a second. Verse two. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So again, uh, just picking this up here. Uh, uh, when a person puts their faith in Jesus and is forgiven by Jesus, um, then the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside. Jesus comes to live inside of God, lives inside of us. And so uh, they didn't understand this at all. And they didn't, they didn't get that. They didn't even know that this was happening. Okay. So that's, that's their situation. Verse three. And he said, in what then, excuse me, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism, John the Baptist, verse four. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Excuse me, I I missed verse five. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid laid his hands on them, Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So let's just talk about this for a second. Picture this. Okay. People converted in Jerusalem, forgiven by Jesus. They become followers of Jesus. They go home to Ephesus. They're there. There's about 12 of them, 12 of those families that are kind of collected there. Um, uh, Paul comes to say, hey, what's the deal? Have you, do you know, uh, I mean, did, did you receive the Holy Spirit when? Can't, no, we don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. Oh, what, tell me about your baptism. Well, I was baptized when John said to repent because the king is coming. Uh, and so uh, just a little side note here. Uh, Christian baptism means something. What is it? It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of Jesus going down into the water, excuse me, going down into the grave uh, and then being raised to life, forgiving, uh, carrying our sins far, far away and then raised to life. So we picture that when we go down into the water and come back up. Uh, some of you were baptized in traditions or in places or where it meant something to you, but it didn't necessarily mean what God meant for it, okay? And so Christian baptism means something specific, that we were buried with Jesus and we rise with Jesus. So that, that's kind of what was happening What was happening here. And so the first kind of people that Paul meets in Ephesus are those people who are ignorant. And I use that in the most technical term, not, not like, you're ignorant, not, not like that, but... It, 
ignorant, people who just don't know. That's what they said. We didn't even, verse 2, uh, we didn't even, we have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Um, and what do those who are ignorant, what do they need? Those who are ignorant need a revelation. They need God to come and speak truth to them in a way that they can understand so that uh, they, will, uh, they will grasp what is real and what is true. Those who are ignorant need revelation. Can I tell you what they don't need? They don't need our anger. They don't need our anger. For people who um, don't know, they don't need our anger. They need revelation. And so our world is full of anger and people get all mad about all sorts of things. But the truth of the matter is, if you look at a two-year-old and say, hey, what's two plus two? You're not expecting a lot of feedback, right? You could teach them even to say four, but then you could say to them, okay, so what is the square root of 49? And they'd be like, I don't know. And you could yell at them, I just taught you math. I just taught you math. I just, but what would they be? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Would it be right to be mad at them? No, of course not. I'll give you another picture here. Um, uh, you have, uh, again, a one-year-old little kid, right? Who's just starting to learn to walk. And so they got the Pillsbury Doughboy thing walking here, you know, like this. And then inevitably, at some point, uh, they do the three-point fall, both knees on their forehead, right? (laughs) At no point, well, you shouldn't. If you do this, please come see me afterwards. But at no point should a parent look at them and go, I can't believe that you fell. Get up. (laughs) What does that parent do? Walk over, scoop them up. You're okay, you're okay. You can do this. And then they begin to help them to walk again. Those who are ignorant need revelation. They do not need our anger. They don't. Our world is packed full of people who are glad to be mad at one another. Let's not be those people. They they need revelation. So what do we see here? Again, you have the explanation of baptism, um, that it means this in particular. We're not looking forward to something that's coming. We're rejoicing in the reality of what has happened. And then he says, what about the Spirit? Uh, did you receive the Spirit? That was back in verse 2. And then in verse 6, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So the Spirit came upon them like at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Uh, and what did that mean? It meant that these were God's people too. So three different times we see um, the Holy Spirit come upon a group of people and say, and, and it, in doing so, it is, it is God's affirmation. These are my people. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10 with the Gentiles. And then these folks who are scattered far away who didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 19. God comes upon them to confirm this is the case. Why? Because he's just trying to reveal himself to them. Now, uh, break this down just a touch here and say, say, uh, tell a quick story. Um, When I say they need revelation, it's because they just don't know. When we encounter people like this, and you may, you may encounter people like this. You're sitting there waiting at Starbucks at the coffee line, and somebody says something, and you're like, man, that's not even close to right. You don't get mad at them. Be like, ah, it, what do you do? You just try to help people understand. You're in friend groups with people. You're in, uh, uh, on soccer teams or baseball teams. With people. You just help them understand. So um, uh, there was a kid Grew up at a church uh, where the pastor always preached sermons that were way over his head. Anybody grew up in a church like that? Well, you don't have that problem here. I get that. But I mean like, <laughs> so if you grew up in a church like that, yeah, okay. So preached sermons way over his head. Uh, never really understood. Even when he tried to listen, never really understood. Eighth grade comes along. He goes to camp. A guy named Steve Stroop preaches a sermon from Philippians 4.13. Um, helps, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can overcome hardship and, and um, you can persevere in hardship even um, when 
Uh, you don't feel like you can, told this great, I mean, just amazing story about uh, a guy who came in dead last in the New York um, City Marathon because he didn't have legs. He had to propel himself like this all the way there. It's just unbelievable, right? And the kid who's sitting there listening for the first time understands the Bible. Oh, what a gift that was right there. What a gift that was. And, and then, then has this moment with the Holy Spirit where it's like, to help people understand the Bible like that, that'd be a worthwhile, that'd be a worthwhile venture right there. Like that would be something to, to, to pursue. And so that becomes the first step in this kid's life, um, as, as first step that, that God uses to call this kid to ministry. You know where that kid ended up? Right here on this stage with this microphone. Eighth grade. Somebody helped me understand. God gave me revelation. So those who are ignorant need that, okay? They need that. Um, and the world, as it, as it falls out here, the, the world needs, uh, the ignorant need uh, this kind of revelation. The world needs just a faithful and consistent witness that goes along with that. They're ignorant too. Sometimes they push back. We'll see this, verse 8. And he entered the synagogue, and for how long? What's it say there? Three months, three months. So every Saturday for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, which does happen, uh, and, and um, speaking evil of the way. Now, you can put the way in quotes there. This is a um, uh, kind of a nickname for the church. Uh, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily, every day, faithful and consistent witness, daily in the hall uh, of Tyrannus. Verse 10, this continued for how long? Two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The world needs a faithful and consistent witness to the kingdom. He reasoned daily. He did it for two years. He was in the synagogue every, uh, for three months, not just once, but ongoing ministry for years and years and years. Patience and patient teaching um, overcame their ignorance and became the means by which God brought revelation to them. I say that to say some of you have been in relationships with people where you've been trying to speak truth into their lives or share the gospel in their lives or uh, tell your story as it intersects their lives, whatever. And you just think, man, this is not going anywhere. Two years. Two years. And Paul, so some of you were like, well, I've been at it for 20. Yeah, it may be worth it to stick at it for 21. Patient faithful, consistent witness. That is so often the means by which God brings revelation. So, when you encounter the ignorant, they need revelation, not anger, revelation. Okay, the second group uh, that Paul encounters starts in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Can we just pause right there and just say, please note, he didn't charge anything for them. He didn't show up on TV and say, hey, if you'll send a love offering to me, uh, sitting there in my four-piece suit, if you'll send a love offering to me, I'll send you miracle holy water from the Holy Land and whatever, whatever, like the, some of those shysters do on late night TV. Who's with me? Yeah, yeah. The kinds of people that, that the second kind of group that Paul, Paul encountered were imposters. And some of them are still alive showing up on late night TV thinking they're going to send you a handkerchief or something and all your ills are going to be gone away. Listen, he didn't charge a thing for them. He didn't ask for a love offering for them. He just 
God was doing such extraordinary miracles that anything that came in contact with him had ripples effects. That's, 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 that's authentic. That's not imposters. Uh, verse 13. Uh, this, by the, I mean, this is like one of my favorite New Testament stories right here. Verse 13. Uh, and then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. So people of the Jewish faith who were trying to help others spiritually with their situation undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Okay? So picture this. Um, you've got these Jewish exorcists, um, uh, folks who were trying to help others spiritually, um, they see that God is doing amazing work through Paul, and they're like, oh, okay, this must be a new thing. So they'd walk into a place, and they'd be like, I adjure you in Jesus' name, whom Paul preaches, to do something else. Previously, they'd walk in and say something else, some other incantation. But in this particular instance, this was their incantation. In Jesus' name, whom Paul preaches, I want you to do this. And look what happened. Verse 14, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Can we just put, like when the spirit, evil spirit talks back, that's a bad day at the office. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I, uh, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? When he talks back and asks you a question, that's even worse. And <clears throat> verse uh, now 16, and the man in whom the, uh, was the evil spirit leaped upon them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now, do you see why it's one of my favorite stories? Like you just walk in, you're like, I adjure you in Jesus name who Paul preaches. Uh, Jesus, we know. Paul, we've heard of. Who are you? And then <laughs> off they go and they're, Rah! I love that. Like, wouldn't that be a funny day at church? Be like, hey, small group, let me tell you what happened. Uh, okay, what, what do imposters need in that moment? Imposters need repentance. Some of us come into a situation where we're faking it with God. And what do we need? Repentance. Some of us know people or we ourselves are these people who don't have a connection to the source of power that we're trying to tap into. And what do we need? Repentance. Some of us don't have the character, the infrastructure, if you will, of our souls to carry the weight of the power that we really want to wield. And what do we need at that moment? Repentance. If you catch too much power and you don't have the infrastructure, if you don't have the integrity, if you don't have the character to carry that, what happens? It crushes you. Anybody ever seen somebody get crushed because they had too much authority and not enough character to weigh it? I mean, to carry it? When God entrusts you with a gift, when he entrusts you with authority, when he entrusts you with this kind of work, it's a, it is a weighty thing. And if you're not careful, it'll crush you. It will. Um, th- this has been true. Um, and there, it's, this is comedy for sure. Uh, I, just, I think it's so funny. But spiritual powers that are in our world are no joke. They are, they are not toys. They don't play, and so we better not play either. But there will always be people who want to wield this spiritual power without attaching themselves, connecting themselves to the source of that power, or having the character or the way to carry it. Now, uh, this is uh, true in the sons of Sceva, because they didn't know who they were reckoning with. Um, Jesus, I've, Jesus, I know. I've heard of Paul. Tell me one more time, who are you? Uh, this shows up in popular culture uh, in, in Several ways. One particular story, especially recently. Um, here's a picture here. Anybody know this guy? Anybody? Come on. If you've seen the movie, who is it? 
It's Jafar. If you, if you haven't seen the movie, this may be a little bit uh, more connected to you. This next picture, please. Next picture. Just, there we go. Okay, you recognize him now? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah that guy. So uh, the first picture was 2019. Will Smith is the genie, uh, uh, Aladdin. And then this is the uh, Disney uh, adaptation of that. And so you've got Jafar. You remember his story. He wants to be the sultan. Uh, and he ultimately and finally gets uh, the lamp, uh, becomes the greatest wizard, uh, sorcerer there uh, of all time. And then Aladdin, uh, in, in the big showdown scene, Princess Jasmine is in the sand, and Aladdin, um, uh, you know, kind of gets inside Jafar's head, takes up space in there, and it's like, oh, well, Jafar, you'll always still be a number two. <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, well, see, the genie gave you power, and so you'll never actually be as powerful as the genie, since the genie is the one who gave you power. And he's like, that's right. And all of he rubs the genie for my third wish. I wish to be a genie, the most powerful being in the entire. And genie's like, all right. And he shoots, you know, uh, shoot the, the thing. And then you have this scene right here uh, where he comes up, uh, that next picture. Remember? He's like, universal, undominated power, you know? And then clank, clank. And then the, the line of the movie all the power in the world, but a itty bitty living space. Yeah, I'm glad you remembered. All right. What did Jafar want? To wield that power. But he did not have the character. He did not have the character to hold it. And, and what ends up happening? Do you, do you remember as he's getting sucked down into the lamp? Iago, the bird, gets sucked in with him. How many of us have seen others that as their life gets taken down by their thirst for power, take others down with them? Imposters need repentance. And, and secondly, they will always be revealed. I mean, it didn't take much here. It didn't take much. Just an encounter with a demon. Who are you again? It did not uh, take much. They will always re be revealed. They will always, excuse me, they will be shown for who they are. And, and um, we'll talk about this in just a second. But sometimes their demise actually pushes others to the truth. Sometimes it takes people with them. Sometimes it pushes other people to the truth. But we can count on God to reveal imposters. Why? Uh, because he doesn't like being a tool. He does not like being a tool. Here's a famous imposter. Catch this guy. See if you know him. Anybody? Anybody know him? Somebody in the first service was like, is that Tim Conway? No, it's not Tim Conway. <laughs> Anybody? Come on, guess this. Frank, Frank Abagnale. Good job, Tobes. You, oh, oh, that was Dave. Dave, good job. Good job, Dave. Um, he, the Catch Me If You Can movie, you remember the movie, Catch Me If You Can? Uh, this is the real guy. Like, started, uh, uh, like, got a uniform for Pan Am, started flying in the jump seat as like an 18-year-old, right? Uh, was an imposter of a doctor at a hospital in Atlanta, um, uh, became a, 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 well, became a lawyer because um, he was dating a gal who was the daughter of the AG in Louisiana. I mean, like, all of these, ultimately was caught, spent some time in prison, went to work for the FBI in their undercover, and then ultimately their counterfeit unit. And he gave a talk at Google. Um, I don't know, uh, uh, several weeks ago now. It's about an hour-long deal. His part was about 30 minutes, the 30-minute Q&A. And in that, this is what he said. I didn't have a plan. I didn't have confidence. I didn't know what I was doing. I was an adolescent, and that's how I pulled it off. But he said, later, he goes, ultimately, that's what got me caught. See, 
Impostors always get revealed one way or another. They always get revealed. Life has a way, and God providentially has a way of, of making things happen such that impostors are revealed. Um, this from uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 22. Look at what it says. Um, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. I mean, that's pretty easy. Like, you stand up and say something. Hey, if it's not true, guess what? That wasn't the Lord. He's spoken, presum- that prophet has spoken presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. <laughs> I mean, imposters are going to be revealed. Why? Because God doesn't like being a tool. He doesn't like people saying, oh, well, I think the Lord told me to do this, this, and this. Or I think the Lord's going to do this, this, and this. And the guy's like, oh, no, man. No, 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 no. No. That's not how this goes. Imposters will always uh, be revealed. Uh, oftentimes, um, as this happens, I said it just a minute ago, sometimes it, it moves people toward the truth as they see others crumble. There's a kind of a reckoning in their own life. This is what happened. Look at verse 17. This became known after the naked and wounded thing. This became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Um, so you've got these beliefs. So oftentimes God does a, a work of purification before he sends revival. Verse eight, uh, 19, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and it came to about 50,000 pieces of silver. So this is serious sacrifice here. And so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It started with extraordinary miracles. It ends with the word of the Lord increasing and God ultimately for the good of all of that area brings this kind of purifying thing on that people. And it, and it works. And it works out. Impostors need repentance. And that's what we see happens. Those who had been trying to live dual lives, they, they repented. Okay. Last group of people. Verse, if the ignorant, when you encounter them, they need revelation. When you encounter the impostors, uh, they need repentance. And then verse 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia, Achaia, and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, again, put that in quotes, the church, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Artemis was kind of the... the um, local deity, the one that they celebrated most there. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business, we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, this deity, um, may be counted as nothing and that she may be even Opposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Can we just pause for one second? Like, if your goddess or God can get deposed, like, your God may be too small, right? Uh, verse 28. And when they heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together with the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go on, uh, go into among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, which are uh, uh, rulers of the area, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging not to venture into the theater. They thought they'd kill him. 
And now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Can we just like, that's the news. I mean, you know, like, where are we here again? Uh, Verse, uh, excuse me, 33. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, um, and, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. We meet people. We meet people who are ignorant, and we meet people who are imposters. We meet people with an agenda. Anybody ever met a person with an agenda? Here in this particular episode, Paul encounters these folks, Demetrius, and what was driving his response to Paul and to the gospel? His, his agenda was driven by economic desires. Does anybody know anyone driven by economic desires? Money is, is their God. It's, it's what the, it is the place of their security. And when that security gets threatened, man, they go all sorts of crazy. Indeed, they started a riot basically on this. So people with an agenda in this particular case, um, uh, their agenda was, was pushed by this economic urge or this economic desire. Uh, we had to buy a car um, uh, last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we get to the final thing. We've negotiated the price. All is settled, right? Come down. I'm looking over the paperwork because you always look over the paperwork. Who's with me? Always look over the paperwork. And I'm like, huh, that's really interesting. Like, here's the price and here's the taxes, all this kind of stuff. Here are the add-ons, like mud flaps. And I'm like, oh, man, that's really cool. He's like, yeah. I said, are you going to put the mud flaps on the car because you're charging me for them and they're not on there? Well, uh, I guess I can take that off. That's a great idea right there. And there was another thing. I can't remember what it was right now, but I mean, there's another thing. I'm like, yes, charge me too much for the tinted windows. That's fine. But like, don't charge me for the things that you're not going to put on there, right? Not every car salesman is like that. We encountered one who was, though. Um, how about the CEOs of insurance companies? Oh, people like, mm-hmm. uh, who, uh, not all of them, but who build the structure to say no, right? So that on the fourth appeal, you can finally get the medicine you need or whatever. I mean, like you've got these issues, right? And you've got these people who have these agendas, whether it's Demetrius, hey, I feel like I'm losing here, or uh, it's broader and more systemic than that. Um, there are people who are driven by agendas and s- A lot of times, at least in our areas in particular, it seems to be pushed by economic desires. Um, And their agenda, as you can imagine, refused to hear the other side. Again, verse 34, when they recognized that he was a Jew, about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, this is what they cried. Every time somebody stand up to say something, they'd be like, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Do you know this phrase, talking past one another? You sit in conversation and you see this on TV. I mean, uh, the, the news channels make money off of this deal of getting people um, who are going to argue on TV in front of you, so much so that the closed caption part just says over-talking, right? Nobody's listening. All they're doing is talking past one another. This is what's happening here. Their agendas refuse to hear the other side. They don't want to think well of the other side. They don't even want to hear the other side. It happens on social media. Here's the thing, though, that God, God takes care of agendas, like, just like he takes care of imposters. Why? 
Um, oftentimes it's providential. So just to close out the story, close the loop here, the rest of the chapter, we won't read it, but um, the, the kind of town clerk, the mayor guy stands up. He's like, hey, you knuckleheads, why are we even here? Um, if you got a problem, the courts are open, we can go settle it there, but we're in danger of causing a riot here. And if we're in a riot, we're all going to be in trouble. So y'all go home. And that's what ultimately what happened. God spared Paul. He spared these other followers of Jesus. Um, he spared in, in their agenda. Why is that? Why does God take care of agenda? This didn't show up in the notes. I just, I added it late. But over in Ephesians chapter 1, if you um, have a Bible and you want to turn there for just a second. Ephesians chapter 1, um, verses 9 and 10. It says, God makes known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. That's Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. What is Paul saying there? This Paul who was dying to go into the arena. Uh, what is Paul saying there? He's saying this. The agenda of God is everything and everyone will ultimately come under the rule and reign of Jesus. Whether they acknowledge it or don't, ultimately they will fall under the, the benevolent and good rule and reign of Jesus. For their good or for their ill, they will fall under that. God is going to sum it all up under Jesus. And here's the thing. Um, this is why he takes care, God takes care of agendas like he takes care of imposters. Nothing is going to, to mess up God's agenda. Like there's not a president, a Supreme Court, a crisis on the border, a crisis in Iran. There is nothing in the world, this economic issue over here, this food issue over here, this drought, this weather, this problem, this natural disaster. There is nothing that is going to thwart God's agenda. He will ultimately win the day. And there's no agenda that anybody else is going to put forward that is going to uh, uh, somehow throw his off course. That's good news for you and me because if we're followers of Jesus, we're on that side. And we get to participate in what God is doing as he's unfolding this. Agendas, man, they, they come from all sorts of places and have all sorts of uh, 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 outcomes and repercussions. But God's agenda is to sum everything up in Jesus and under his authority. And we get to be a part of that. That's why he's not going to let agendas ultimately rule and reign. His agenda is going to be unchallenged. It will be... Um, Unthwarted. So how then do we best respond to agendas? I, I just, I want to take my cues and I would encourage you to take your cues from Jesus because people pop up on Facebook and they quote an article or they put a thing out on Twitter or whatever, social media thing, or in your conversation, whatever, and you're like, oh, you start, you feel it start to boil inside of you, up it comes. I would just encourage you to take your cues from Jesus. Um, uh, he said very little and he carried on what he was doing. And so I'll just give you this example. In John chapter 8, the Pharisees have a woman who's caught, it says, in the very act of adultery. And they drag her before Jesus. And they say, Jesus, the law says to stone this woman. What do you say? Jesus strokes his beard and goes, remember what he did? Remember what the Bible says he was doing? He just scribbling in the dirt. Just pushing creation around. Jesus, it says we're supposed to stone her. What do you say? He just keeps writing. Jesus, we picked up stones. We're ready to do this right here in front of you. What do you say? I say, if you don't have sins, throw the stone. 
The Bible says they just dropped their sins and walked, I mean, dropped their stones and walked away. They should have dropped their sins, they just dropped their stones and walked away. Like, one of the things that drives people with agendas most nuts is when you ignore them. And so I, I, I really do. I just want to take my cues from Jesus. I don't have to say very much. He didn't. He just ignored him. And then he kept doing what the Father wanted him to be doing. He kept accomplishing what the Father said was worthwhile. There are agendas out there, and people will push buttons out there. And maybe, just maybe, your best response is to bend down in the dirt and go on about your business. You don't have to respond to everything. You don't owe them a response. You do owe God your consistent and faithful witness. And the world needs it. So who, who, who is that for you? Think, can, you think, can you picture your week? Who might you encounter who's ignorant and needs you to tell them the truth? Who might you encounter that's an imposter that you don't want to trust yourself to? Or let have input into your life? Who has an agenda? <laughs> you may just need to sit down and draw in the dirt. Drive them crazy, but just ignore them. Say very little. And then go on about the business that God's given you to do. Who is that for you? What I want to do is just have a moment where we pray. Ask for God to help us process this. And then we'll have just a brief moment of reflection and response. So if you need to fold up your stuff or set it down or whatever, just take a moment. And um, this is the question I think that's best to ask after a a teaching like this. God, what, what had my name on it today? What did you gift wrap?